Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast on a rainy Wednesday afternoon. I am Gavin Shaw. Alex once again has the day off, so I will be joined by one of the best covering the Knicks. It is Presidente, uh, the Strickland's draft guru, in addition to being the co-host of Pod Strickland, one of the very best Knicks podcasts out there. And we're in for a fun conversation today, reviewing Emmanuel Quickly's rookie season talking about the micro skills he needs to improve on to make a leap to, if not stardom, being a really, really, really good player. And then we move on and we talk draft his potential backcourt mate, Sharif Cooper, just how good he can be, just how much success he can have without a jump shot, and some of Prez's other favorite prospects. So all that and more, without further ado, right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on Knicks. Today's podcast is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Download the app and join Alex and I this week, Friday at 5.30 to get in on the action. As always, I'm Gavin Shaw, a now-resumed play-by-play broadcaster. Alex has some time off, so we are joined by perhaps his, his single finest co-worker, if I can say that. He is known by many names... Um, Immortus, some say Kang, some say Presidente, uh, the draft guy for the Strickland and so much more. Prez, how's it going? Uh, thank you. Thank you for doing the pod. Thanks for the awesome introduction. Uh, I'm going to continue my mission. I'm happy to continue my mission of displacing other Strickland podcast hosts. Um, first I managed to get my own podcast without Schwinn, Draft Strickland, and I look forward to taking over Alex's duties at least for one day here on Locked On Knicks. It's it look, man, you're you're gonna you're gonna end up just like uh, Kang, whose whose name you're having on Twitter now. You're ruling at the end of time, at, at least exactly. at, at least in the Strickland world. All right, so we we are here to talk about someone uh, near and dear to both of our hearts, and that is Emmanuel. Quickly, that's right. It is his turn in the player review chair. Uh, Prez, I'm just going to, I'm going to start off from the very beginning. Do you remember, <laughs> um, you can, I mean, maybe this was as far back as draft night or pre-draft or, or preseason, or, or it could have been that 31 points he dropped on Damian Lillard. Do you remember the moment you, you sort of first fell in love with IQ and you were like, oh wait, they, they found something here. This, this is a real thing. Oh, well, I'll give you two answers. First is the moment that I had that realization of like, oh, they found something. And second is before that, the moment that. I first became intrigued by him. So I'll start with the second answer. I became intrigued by him after reading the profile that Stacy Patton wrote on the, the Strickland. I was about, I was literally about to say the Quickland, which might as well have been the name of the site for a minute because he basically identified, you know, how good he was statistically. And we were talking and, we were like, what if he's the one who's going to get the Kentucky bump, not Tyrese Maxey coming into the NBA? So I kind of just thought nothing of it and filed that away 
And uh, I don't honestly, I don't remember which game it was that he first had his like high scoring binge, but it was one of those. It was that I feel like it was there was one game early on. I don't even remember who where he just hit like five floaters or something like that. And that was the time where I was like, okay, this guy's a maniac if he's hitting bombs from 30 feet and shooting floaters like this. It was it was just a real run earlier in the year when he when he was just automatic on those floaters and obviously it, it didn't sustain but but everyone was sort of like I mean like that's like this, this is just abnormal <laughs> like he he might already be one of the one of the single best guys in the NBA at this specific skill and and then and and he, he did have a couple of of games that like sort of piqued your interest right he had that three game stretch it was um at the beginning of or middle of January the 13th the 15th the 17th Brooklyn, Cleveland, Boston, 19 points, 23 points, 17 points. And that, that sort of whetted your pal a little bit. And you were like, oh, wait, there, there there might be something going on here. Fast forward a week later, 24 minutes against the Trailblazers, 31 points, 9 of 18 from the field, five threes, and just just the swagger. He, he was just going toe-to-toe with Dame. Like they were – he wasn't – it didn't look like he was like chirping at him in an aggressive way, but Dame's like, man, like, you, you, like the subject seemed to be, you, you shouldn't really be doing this right now. And he, he's like, he's like I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. And, and just going shot for shot, I remember he really came on in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. And we were left thinking – like wow, we we might we might have a star in our hands, and then yeah, I mean he scored six points the next night against Utah, back to back twenty five point games against Cleveland and the Clippers. And I remember when, when I was when I was a lot younger, it was like four five years ago. Uh, I was writing about the Suns, interestingly enough, and Brandon Knight. I think it was against the Nuggets, or it was like his second or third game in Phoenix, and he scored like thirty seven. I wrote this whole long article, and I was like. And I was just saying the Suns, the Suns found a star. Everyone was questioning them trading away uh, Gordon Dragic and Eric Bledsoe. But Ryan McDonough, he, he pulled off the heist of the century. Brandon Knight <laughs> could be a future all-star. And I was trying to keep that in mind the whole year with Quickly. And I'm like, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that again. Like, let's, let's, let's stretch this out over a long enough sample size. I, I do remember, Prez, I, I think you were in the DM, though, to, to completely contradict myself on this. I think I I think I DM'd you and, and our friend Spencer Poeman at one point and I asked, would, would you guys take quickly over Anthony Edwards right now? So I I, I lost composure at, at different <laughs> at different moments in the year. All that is is to ask you, what were sort of the fluctuations for you uh, on the year with IQ? And I, I've noticed, I mean, talking to people who have covered the draft for a long time, you guys tend to be much, much better than than laymen like myself and not overreacting and, and keeping in mind that it's a long runway and also like looking at more than just game to game statistical production and saying, what are the skills and how will they translate long term? But but what were sort of the ups and downs for you with quickly? Was there a point you were really low on him during the year? Or were you just sort of like, no, this guy's this guy's good and he's, he's going to be a key piece of the future all throughout? I, I was pretty steady. Um, at, like it was really awesome to see him blossom early on like i had him 25th on my board and i didn't think that was pretty high i think most people had him in the second round but even with me ranking him 25th i didn't think he was gonna be a scoring force at any point like he was let alone in year one so immediately i'm i'm actually part of a project by um cj marchesani on twitter another uh friend of of the pod of, of pod Strickland and draft Strickland. And the idea of the project is basically to track among draft Twitter or a group of people from draft Twitter to track how people, how player stock changes over time once they enter the league. 
So you can see where all the participants, including myself, had quickly to begin the year um, pre-draft and then every two months during the season. And you can see everybody's rating for him tick up. And some people like me uh, have that rating tick up a lot more than other people or quicker than other people. Um, I think I ended up saying like putting him like 10th or something among people in that class. So, I mean, I did that from the get-go. Once I saw he was getting buckets like that, I was like, okay, he's literally at worst going to be like a microwave bench guard who can fill it up from very deep, which is very useful. And he's not a zero on defense because he's doing like basic rotations and stuff like that as a rookie in the NBA. So he's not ever going to be a tire fire on defense. So that alone gets you pretty far in the league. Um, and I kind of just stayed around there. I, there was no point. I, you know, I, I, I was one of the million Nick fans calling for him to play over Alfred Payton and get minutes running the offense and stuff like that. But that was less because I was high on his ability to run the offense and more because the alternative was just Alfred Payton. <laughs> so just having a guard out there who could space the floor and make the most basic reads in the book would have gotten us way farther than Alfred Payton. But like, you know, there's some people, some Knicks fans who are higher than I am on him even, and I'm high on him because they think there's a good chance he can become, you know, uh, a, a quote unquote real point guard. Um, like so many good teams have. And I'm still on the fence about that, but like, it that doesn't matter as much for me. Like I'm still high on him because whether he's a point guard or a shooting guard, like he's still a useful freaking player who can score and is likely going to get a lot better so like once i kind of like i saw that pretty early on like and, and that's pretty much where i stayed at for most of the year all right guys it's about that time let's take our first break and remind you this episode is brought to you by green room green room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans the app is free to download and once you're in you can talk with me alex other fans athletes and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I will be hosting rooms for Lockdown Knicks once a week. So yes, you, that's right, you can finally join in on the conversation you listen to on here every single day. Green Room is the perfect place to start or join convos about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. So be sure to join Alex and I, this week at 5.30, all you got to do is download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices, and be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the NBA group for the latest league updates. You can follow me at Gavin Shaw, Alex at Alex Wolf, to be notified when our room goes live. I know you won't want to miss it. Once again, Friday at 5.30, you can join us to share your thoughts on the Knicks. We'll see you there. Green Room, changing the way we talk sports. Yeah, so you you got to exactly where where I was gonna go. Um, I'm 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 similar to you in that I care less if he's a point guard. I mean you, I mean this this has been true for years and years and years now. But you even you watch a team like the Suns and you're like, obviously like Chris Paul is the point guard and Devin Booker's the off guard. But when when Chris Paul gets really tired, Devin Booker becomes like the pseudo guy who's at the center of the offense. So and the Knicks, I mean it could depend on who they draft this year. But it seems like, at least for next season, whether it's Derrick Rose or they bring in Kyle Lowry or they end up with someone like Sharif Cooper in the draft, 
I would be pretty surprised if Emmanuel quickly was was starting game one, bringing the ball up the court, just because they seemed extremely hesitant to do that all of this year. When even if quickly makes a jump next season, you would you would assume because Elf will hopefully be gone, there'll be more competition at that position. So I guess more so, what I want to ask you, Prez, is what do you see from him as a creator? And I, at least in my mind, the avenue for him really just generating a lot of looks for other guys on the floor is sort of that three-point shooting and being kind of a, a curry light figure who is legitimately drawing defenders out 25, 30 feet and, and then using his quickness to blow by them and, and just and beating the help with the next pass. And whether that leads to a ton of assists or a ton of hockey assists, to me at least that's that's an avenue for him to be fantastic in that capacity without him necessarily making a big leap as a passer. And as we saw his first year, he's, he's a willing passer. He's, he's a fine passer. It's not an area where he's necessarily spectacular. But, but what did you see from him on that front? And, and what do you think his future is down the road as he continues to get better as a shooter and becomes a guy who draws more and more attention? Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit on it. I think his best path, whether it's as a ball handling guard or as an off guard, his best path to creating for others is playing off of his scoring gravity like he still needs to develop you know and get better at making a bunch of different reads and stuff like that and that'll come as his handle gets better as he begins to actually take layups for once and things like that but um he's primarily gonna the the passing lanes that are easiest for him to see are gonna be the ones that are created because they like you said they have to guard him over screens 30 feet from the hoop and even somebody who's not a blazing fast player can get space off of that if you have to get guarded that far out. So that's kind of his best bet. There's always a chance that, you know, you see something like what we saw from Darius Garland this year, who's also another player who relies on playing outside in, relies on his jump shot, relies on his floater, doesn't take a lot of layups. Um, And Darius kind of, the light switch went off this year in terms of his passing. And he went from a guy who could make basic reads and take deep pull-ups and floaters to a guy who could make lots of different reads and really facilitate the offense and pick his spots. And um, the big difference is Darius has amazing, amazing, amazing handle and quickly handles good, but it's not amazing. So um, there's different ways. I think he can actually improve his, um, his creation for others, which bodes well, because uh, it's not, you know, there's a lot of ways to to cook this meal, so to speak, for him to to become a really good player. Is there, is there, I mean, you, you just hinted at it, but is there a specific skill you're focused on heading into next season? Obviously, you'd like the shooting, which, I mean, for a rookie by any standard, it, it, at least from, from distance, in, insanely efficient. Is there a capacity outside of his jumper that you are really looking for him to make a leap in? And maybe it's something he's already good at, or is it just that passing? Or, or where are you sort of focused on him going into next year? Um, I think the main thing for him is is going to be taking some layups. Um, he's His percentage of shots at the rim, I think, is 5%, which I'm pretty sure is the lowest of anyone who's not like a guard who is strictly strictly like run around screens and come off the bench and shoot movement threes or something like JJ Redick or something like that. Um, for guards who have the actual ball a lot, that's, I'd be really surprised if anybody was within shouting distance of 5%. So 
you know, even guards like Darius Garland are up towards like 18% or something like that. And he's considered bad at getting to the rim. So quickly, legit horrible at that. But the good news is it doesn't take much to go from bad, from horrible to bad to or to mediocre. Like it only takes a few, like one layup a game extra or something like that. Or, you know, just taking advantage of Julius Randle's gravity. It doesn't even have to be him making his own layup from the three-point line all the way to the rim. It can just be cuts and stuff like that. So there's a lot of ways um, he can do that and once he does that then it makes everything else more dangerous because if if he's right what what they did what defenses did at the end of the year was they realized if he wasn't on the three-point line he's going to take the floaters and he wasn't going to go to the rim so you could trail him around the screen and then the big wouldn't have to drop back all the way to the rim they could just float kind of in the middle of the paint and bug his floater which is why he had started missing a lot of those floaters because they started contesting it more aggressively and daring him to drive to the rim that extra one dribble that extra two dribbles and he just wouldn't do it so um i think once he does that you'll see better passing better shooting too better scoring better efficiency better everything and i fully fully because he's a maniac work ethic guy so i fully expect that to happen this year this next season yeah, I think it, it ultimately comes down to craft for him around the rim. Obviously, he can continue to get mm-hmm. stronger. But I, I thought physically you could even see, like, by the end of the year, like, he was he was like fairly broad shoulders for a guy who in, inherently is kind of a slim build. Yeah. But it, yeah. But it's just, I mean, improving that layup package. And, and the fact is, like, he isn't inherently, like, a smart player. Like, you could see him in real time come up with counters for stuff. And I thought as the year went on, something that was encouraging for me was, at least he was, and I know, I know the final rate in, in terms of shots at the rim was still really low. But to me, like a lot of that was because it, it literally was just not a part of his game for the first twenty to twenty-five games of the year. A- everything would be a floater within six, seven yeah. feet of the basket, and then he started getting them off a little bit more. But so often, it felt like he he had to go at full full speed. Right? It was never like get to the rim, gather, and finish. It was like. I only know how to finish one way and it's it's like sprinting on a dead run like arm fully extended and he'd like he'd enough touch that he would he'd make some of those but it wasn't nearly good enough and I'm I'm curious like like how much he can ex- expand on that I mean do you, this is like a, a tough question on the fly and I don't know the answer but do you remember like a guard his size with like his athleticism that came into the league that just wasn't that good at finishing and and kind of like made the leap from really bad to average i feel like trey was like pretty good from day one i'm, I'm trying to think of someone else i i know i know kemba's the example of that from like deep shooting but but around the basket all right guys it's about that time let's take our second and final break and talk about one of our all-time favorites it's built bar did you know that built bar has so many delicious flavors there's something for everyone when you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're passionate about their faves. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you are missing out. Coconut, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Strawberry, Orange, Cookies and Cream. Those are just some of the best. If you haven't tried all of them, you can get a mix box where you get two of each of the nine. So you, you get a chance to sample everything. Not only are Built Bars the best tasting bar out there, they're quite healthy too. 17 to 18 grams of protein, only 130 to 180 calories. It's a big one for me. Four to five grams of sugar and four to five net carbs. Amazing flavors, all tasty, all healthy. Order today and get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like. 
Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Isn't that neat? Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Just use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off at BuiltBar.com, or excuse me, at Built.com. And this episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible. They write impossible. I, I improvised the Spanish. For your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts to their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket, so you can do it yourself. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, God forbid, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business, and they've been serving do-it-yourselfers like yourself for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They have everything you need, including brake parts, tail lamps, motor oils, and even new carpet. So all you got to do is go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. There's a lot of guys, and because I've written about this for many years, thanks to Frank. Thanks to Frank, I actually have looked at this stuff a lot of the time. Beautiful. And and I don't have everybody off the top of my list, but I do have a few names. One of them has been prominent in Nick's land discussions lately. That's Colin Sexton, who shot, like, I think 47% at the rim his rookie season. And then shot, like, high 50s and low 60s ever since, which is where he's at now, which is fine. Um so, you know, there's he's a little more athletic than IQ, but he's also a little smaller and short and and not as long as IQ. So like it, it's there's kind of two things to me. There's there's the actual well three things. There's the willingness to actually take the layups, right? Even if you get your shot punched once in a blue moon, like that just happens to small guys. That even happens to some tall guys. Malcolm Brogdon and Fred Van Fleet are one is a big guard, one is a small guard. Both of them drive all the time. Both of them kind of stink at finishing. But that doesn't stop them. They still go because they they know it's important to at least get those attempts off because even a bad layup is still a good shot. So, uh, you know, you got to get it off anyway. So it's there's that. And then there's the lesson that I tried to I I felt like I constantly had to tell people this with Frank, like as Frank was going from a horrible finisher to a mediocre one. You know, we would see him occasionally make these like wrong footed, tough scoop shots, like high off the glass and be like, oh, he's getting it. He was getting it. And to me, like, that's all cool. And IQ started taking some tough layups like that and even making them at the end of the year. But I'm not interested in that. What I wanted to see is them get easy, boring ass layups that you just don't remember, because that's literally how players get their finishing numbers strong. It's like, oh, a cut that was unguarded took a layup instead of a floater. Or, oh, like, you know, got fouled and made an and one at the rim. It was a lucky shot, but it was a regular layup or something like like boring stuff like that. Because the hard circus shots and the Kyrie advanced maneuvers, those are rare for most players. Most layups that you're going to get are not going to be like that. You got to just take the easy... Take the easy meals when you get them. Yeah, no, it's it, it's it's a great point, and I, I it was funny because I noticed that today with Brogdon <laughs> because I, I was talking about um, on an earlier pod about 
RJ's finishing. And I was like, yeah, you know, like one of the like only guys that was worse than him in terms of the players who, who took the most shots at the rim was Brogdon. I was kind of surprised to see that. I'm like, doesn't everyone always say Brogdon's great at driving? But it's, it, I mean, I think, I think that's a great way of putting it. A bad layup is definitively a good shot. All right. Last question on quickly, and it will, it will kind of transition us into talking about the draft nicely, but what do you ultimately see him becoming defensively? Because I, I think it, it sounds like it's it's a weird question to ask about someone coming off their first season in, in some ways because you're usually like expectations really aren't very high for rookies on that end in general, especially ones that, that aren't like uber athletes who came in with reputations for being great defenders. Um, but I, I think as soon as this draft, right, it's something you kind of have to start thinking about because if you're looking at someone like, Sharif Cooper and, and you're saying quickly's one of our one of our big building blocks. Um, how can we can we justify taking him? Or are you gonna have to play one of them off the bench for their entire career? And my, my inclination is that he, he can be a pretty good defender of point guards. I I don't think he's just I, I think there are always gonna be two guards in the NBA if you're asking him to do that, who are just gonna bully him. But what's what's sort of your take on that and how much flexibility he has positionally and just and just where you're at overall on him on defense? Yeah, it's it's good questions. Um, I tend to kind of lump players and prospects, really, or guards rather, um, into three categories on defense: the tire fires, incredible, and then everyone in between. And I don't really worry about guard defense on unless they're tire fires, because I mean, like, look at the Knicks last year. Like, you had Derrick Rose and Reggie Bullock. And Alfred Payton, nobody's idea of, you know, no one's going to confuse this with like when the Celtics would run out Marcus Smart and like Avery Bradley or whatever. And yet top five defense. Right. So like the reason is because even if you guys have guys who have some on ball weaknesses, most defense is off ball and IQ is pretty good at that. He's not um he, he, he plays off ball pretty conservatively and pretty smartly. He's not going to rack up steals or make amazing, like, you know, mind meld interceptions or anything like that. But he's where he has to be most of the time, which is what you can say about most of the Knicks. And um, he's, I, I see no reason for that to, like, get worse. That's only going to get better. And, you know, one-on-one... Like you said, like he's skinny, but he's not like hopelessly skinny. So I think he'll get stronger. And yeah, he's not going to be any, you know, he's not going to be locking up like Frank switching on to like power forwards or something. But I think he'll be fine versus point guards and able to hold his own versus, uh, versus some twos. Um, so, you know, I don't think he's going to blow the door off anybody's defensive evaluations, but, um, I think he'll be fine. And I don't really worry about, uh, like defensive fit with prospects who we're about to bring in just because the odds are like in a year or two or three, like half these dudes, eventually the Knicks are going to make a move and consolidate a lot of these dudes for a star. And it's probably going to be someone who is beloved to us, who is on the way out. I don't know if it's going to be quickly or someone we draft this year or someone else on the team, but that's just kind of the way it is. So, you know, you, you kind of fight you 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 take note of those concerns like yes yeah, Sharif and quickly would be probably not a great defensive backcourt 
and then you just kind of file it away and don't worry about it until it becomes a problem. That's my approach. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm with you. You you get the you get the best guys possible, and you you sort of you figure out the rest later. All right, one more and quickly because I I forgot about it. And I'm I'm interested to hear yeah. your answer. If you were starting a team, right, and you're you're just you're drafting, and, and the draft pool is just guys currently on the Knicks roster. I'm I'm assuming um, contract status aside, Randall would be one. Would you have mm-hmm. quickly ahead of RJ on that list? No. All right. Why? Well, and and just because you, you think there there are just more avenues for RJ to hit hit star them than quickly or or higher floor or, or what's the reasoning there? A little bit of all of the above. I'm this year really changed my opinion of RJ a lot. I think um, I think the off the dribble shooting is going to come, and I think once it does, like, like he's basically a 17 point per game decent efficient player despite not getting that many free throws, despite handle not being that great, and despite not having off-the-dribble shooting. So, like, I think all three of those things, his handle getting a little bit better, his off-the-dribble shooting getting a little bit better, and him drawing a little bit more free throws, I think all three of those things are not outlier developments. So uh, I I could see him scoring a whole lot of points sooner (laughs) rather than later. And I think... And this might be a hot take on Nick's Twitter, but I, I still have Mitch ahead of quickly as well. Oh wow, um, per- interesting. Yeah, I, I just um, it, it's less about quickly who I'm very high on, and more about Mitch who I'm unreasonably high on. <laughs> for for even for a Nick fan, I think, yeah, I I really think he we haven't seen the extent of how he can change the game in the playoffs in particular as a mobile center who is an elite rebounding impact guy, an elite rim protection guy who's also switchable, who can bang with smaller five-man units on the other team as well as the behemoths of the league. And I I, I think in the regular season, it's easy to say, well, Netherlands can do 75% of what Mitch can do or whatever. But like in the playoffs, he can't. In the playoffs, he can't do half of what Mitch can do. How like What percentage of what Mitch can do versus Joe Allen Bede can Netherlands do? Nothing. Zero percent. So like I I'm still super high on Mitch, even though he still is afraid to take any jump shot or dribbles. <laughs> I I think it's a fair point. We we've been talking about it a lot on, on the pod recently, but I mean how many centers in the NBA could you say that you could throw out for for thirty minutes at this point really in like almost any round of the playoffs and say that they made a positive impact? And it's maybe like six or seven guys, and that's as as a mm-hmm. as a Suns fan, that that's been my whole thing with DeAndre Aiden. Like it's yep. it's incredible what he's done and Mitch you, you don't know it for sure until you see it and, and see it against the best teams but there, there's a lot of data out there that he, he defensively he can certainly be that dude and offensively at the very least someone you have to take into account I uh, just don't yeah. know why this is the last thing I'll say because I don't want to turn this into a Mitch pod but like we he's a little older than quickly obviously but like we give quickly all the benefit of the doubt as we should because he's young in terms of like, well, like, what if he becomes good enough at scoring or passing to be an actual point guard and not a sixth man? With RJ, where we give him all the pathways to being a 25-point-per-game scoring off-the-bounce monster. But with Mitch, it's like, even though he just improved dramatically this year, we just assume that he's he has all the low-hanging fruit and that's it. And... You know, we don't think of what he could be aside from like, what if he shoots threes? And we reduce it to that when in reality, 
Like you're seeing it, like you said, you're seeing it with eight and the value of a defensive center who's big, but can't get played off the floor. Who doesn't even do that much on offense other than just dunk the ball. Yeah, it's it. I I I think I feel like we were robbed this year because I really I was I was dying to see like like Mitch mm-hmm. switch out on switch out on Trey for a possession and like and surprise some people nationally when like he gets to one of those shots or alters a couple of them. Uh, but but hopefully next year. And uh, spoilers <laughs> to everyone listening, we will have a full Mitch pod later this week with a very special guest. Um, but let's uh, let, let, let's keep it moving and uh, go to the draft. Um, so this was. Uh, Coincidental because I saw this story um, after you already committed to coming on, but I was I was happy that you were incidentally coming on. Uh, Matt Moore of the Action Network and the Locked On Podcast Network, uh, he had a report that talking to uh, sources around the league, big term, um, that the Knicks were the consensus team that was expected to make a move up in the draft. It's something I've been saying for a while. It's something basically everyone following the Knicks, I think, has had an inkling that that would be the case. You, you just get the feeling that the timeline is going to be moving forward as fast as possible. They want to, they're not probably not going to play two rookies unless they just really, really nailed those picks. It, it sort of makes sense. Personally, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion that given the, the lack of talent disparity, maybe you, you disagree with that present this draft from like 10 to 25. I think it's more valuable to have two bites at the apple, given how far you can move up with those two picks. It's, but it seems pretty likely that the Knicks, either will trade up or will ser- almost certainly make an attempt to. Um, I- I'm not asking you if it will happen. Do you think it should happen? Yeah, so, you know, I definitely see the value, especially in a draft, like you said, this this deep towards the middle um, and keeping your picks and taking two bites at the apple. But I'm also firmly of the belief that if you think someone's your guy, there's value in going to get them. So if Walt Perrin and everybody else is confident that Sharif is their guy or they can get moody or there's someone else that they're confident in that I'm not confident in, like, like they should go get him. They should go get him. That's, that's my, that's my take partly because of the roster concerns. Like you said, we don't, you know, we're trying to be good. We already got a lot of young players who deserve minutes. So, um, and then we have some established players who are going to soak up tons of minutes in RJ and Julius. So, uh, you know, I I think either approach is 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 completely reasonable. Um, are they gonna trade up? I think it depends because it sounds like I forget who reported it. They said there's somebody they want to trade up for, and nobody's 100 percent sure which who. Or though, you know, I'm sure the betting odds say it's Sharif Cooper. But like, if it's one or two people you want to trade up for, and they're gone. Like you're not going to trade up just for shits and giggles. Like Walt Perrin and Brock Aller aren't idiots. So if that's the case, then they'll keep their picks, and that'll be that. That's a that's a fair, uh, even-minded assessment of the situation. Um, and I guess another another iteration of, of basically the same question. Uh, what what is sort of your your personal best case scenario for the draft? Is it is there a guy? I, I guess what I'm getting at is there a guy in that ten to fifteen range that you're like. They, they, they need, if, if this person <laughs> falls that far, they need to make the move for him. Um, or is it, you know what? I see two people who could realistically be there at 19 and 21. And if they came away with those two people, that would be the absolute best thing in the world for them. So if I'm the emperor of the Knicks in this scenario, yeah, you're, the, you're the king of the Knicks here. <laughs> um, there's a few ways this could go down. I, there's definitely, I'm just pulling up my, my Knicks specific board here. Um, for my Nick specific board, I have Moses Moody fifth and Sharif 
sixth. So, uh, yeah, I would be perfectly happy trading up for those guys. Um, but then in the next group of players, the next 10 or so players, there's like a lot of them that would be available at 19 and 21 guys like Trey Mann or Deuce McBride or Zaire or Jared Butler or Isaiah Jackson or Kessler Edwards. Literally. I love all these guys. And there's like five more players who I just absolutely fucking love. And I can't like, it's hard for me to choose between all 10 of these guys. So, um, Dream scenario for me is definitely, I would say Moody or Sharif trading up for those for for those guys for one of those, um, because they're a cut above everybody else in terms of my, like the intersection of talent, and need, for the Knicks with Reef being a point guard, a real point guard, and Moody being a shooting wing who can play the two, um, and do some other stuff like those those guys are. If we get either of those guys, I'll be doing backflips. I I talked about this this morning from from a very uneducated perspective. Is that's literally I, I haven't watched full games. So any of these guys, I'm very open about the fact it's it's mostly highlights. But what how how much would Sharif change Mitchell Robinson and Obi Toppin's life? Is just just watching oh ag- again again <laughs> highlights highlights. He just seems like far and away the best lob passer in this draft, and I just love like. It, it's because like to me a lot a lot but like obviously like it's the ability to throw a pass off of a live dribble it's like improvisation to some extent but it's also just like I mean it's what we saw from Drew Holiday it's the balls to like attempt a, a quite a few of them and to me that's been my biggest frustration with Nick's guards oh okay well Alfred Payton category aside my biggest frustration with Nick's guards is that I feel like Mitch is pretty much open like at some point in every possession for a lob and is just bigger and higher jumping than most players or most people on the planet. Um, and they're so like, they'll throw it when he's like open for like seven seconds. And if not, they just, they always miss it or, or they look him off. And I feel like, I feel like Sharif Cooper would sort of solve that problem. Yeah. I feel like he, he would make those dudes a lot of money and get them add a few points to their scoring average just by himself alone. He's, you know, even if he's, you know, a rookie backup point guard, so he's getting like 20 minutes a night or something like that. You can count on him to get everybody easy buckets, especially of the lob variety, because he's just a natural like Trey in that sense. That's something they share or Moran or any of these guys who are extremely gifted passers, LaMelo, whoever. He's just one of those guys. So, um, all those back cuts Obi has and all those times that Mitch is rolling and Alfred is too busy dribbling the ball off his pants or whatever, like those could get converted into some buckets. This is probably <laughs> an oversimplification, but do you see Sharif basically being Trey without the shooting? At a floor level, yeah, I think so. I mean, you can't separate Trey from the shooting to me. Yeah. Just because I mean he's always had that even since he was playing second fiddle to michael porter jr in aau he was pulling up from far so uh part and parcel of his game but in terms of the vision and the penetration and the foul drawing yeah they got a lot in common that's not the jump shot it it feels like and that's that's is that sort of like i mean obviously there are games where trey doesn't shoot that well but to your point like the the gravity that he generates like five six feet behind the line that that's what that's what gets him those those like springboard to the rim loaded runs Mm -hmm. but uh, um i i guess based on how high you are on him like do you like maybe not that quite that level, but do you think Sharif can create like an extent of that rim pressure in the NBA even without having that extra long runway? 
or it just comes down to him even being like a decent shooter versus a bad shooter. Well, here's a, I'll turn it back to you for a question. So sure. he he shot 23% in his 13 games at the SEC. Um, do you think he needed scoring gravity to create rim pressure there in the no, SEC? Clearly not. But I guess I guess my premise is that it, it would be harder in the NBA. But also, you'll be much better players around you in the NBA and, and a more widely spaced floor. So maybe maybe that's and the it, case. Yeah. And if you gra- yes to that, and then if you graph like how much rim pressure he created compared to literally all the other NCAA players in the country, he's so far off the chart that like you could like chunk off a third of that, chalk it up to NBA athletes being better defenders, and he's still creating a lot of rim pressure. So like he almost has rim pressure to spare coming coming into the NBA because he was so much better than everyone else at in college at that that like. I don't see, like you said, with the spacing, with pretty much a guarantee, not that he'll be a good shooter, but that he'll get better at shooting. You, I'm pretty sure he's. this isn't going to be an Alfred situation where you wake up one day and it's year eight and he's still shooting like 23% or something like that. So, uh, you know, a little bit of shooting, a little bit of spacing, and then it's just RIP. It's, it's, he's he's going to rim pressures his thing. It's going to be there. The question is like, it's other stuff. It's the jumper. It's the defense. It ain't the rim pressure. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm I'm in, man. You don't you don't have, you don't have to tell me anything else. Um, I I'm 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 so curious with him if there's if there's a team that sees what you're seeing, what like a lot of people I've talked to about him are seeing, and like and maybe either either currently in the top ten or jumps in the top ten and takes him. Like I I just I mean I I'm really confident that he's not going to fall to 19, but I'm curious if he even goes in like a spot that the Knicks can't get to, even even if they are in love with him and who's who's to say they are. All right, um, yeah. but going off of uh, Sharif, uh, uh-huh. or maybe maybe he's your answer to this too. But what would you say like since the NCAA season has ended, and we, we have this every year with evaluators, people get to go back look at more film. Obviously, we don't have the the super long runway that we had with last year's draft, but um, what's the and, and maybe it was just someone else like kind of swaying your opinion, but what's the biggest fluctuation you've had on like any prospect since the college <laughs> basketball season ended? There's been a lot because there's a lot of guys I just straight up didn't get to watch during college. <laughs> so I was very late in terms of realizing, oh, shit, this player's awesome just because I didn't watch any of their games. There's a few guys like that. The biggest jumps for me um, have been Deuce McBride, uh, Miles McBride out of West Virginia University. Uh, I just straight up didn't really watch much West Virginia. I knew of him because West Virginia always has these like elite defending guards and they full court press and play like 1999 offense and, you know, whatever. And I'd heard about him. He was a sophomore. I heard about him last year. But once I checked his film, he kind of jumped off the screen to me because he's an absolutely like cheat code of a defender. Like he moves like a, like it looks like he's moving in fast forward on defense laterally. Like he gets to places with speed that shouldn't be possible even for NBA players. And then once I saw that he was like a splashy shooter from three and from mid range, and he had a nice handle, I was like, okay, this is my kind of player. I need to move him up expeditiously. (laughs) So he, he shot off my boards. Um, the other guy, uh, the other two who shot up, Thor shot up. Uh, and honestly, the re- the reason he really shot up is because 
in the season we didn't like everybody thought he was 19 years old and then afterwards he was like actually i'm 18 it, it was a reverse buddy heel yeah yeah exactly i was like i forgot about that with buddy heel that's a great point yeah it was, it was a weird one but <laughs> that was a weird one um but yeah i was like oh shit this guy's like because you know i looked at his production which is very it was like screams like raw athlete guy. It's like oh eight nine points a game and poor percentages and he's super long and athletic and i was like ah that's like cool if you're like a baby but that's not cool if you're 19 but then it turns out he is a baby he's like 18 <laughs> and i was like oh. <laughs> yeah so i was like that's worth a couple spots on press board yeah and then um the other dude is another p- person i just didn't watch that much which is uh quentin grimes um who's is a shooting guard at out of houston and he littered up at the combine but and that caused some people to talk about him, but that's not really what made him shoot up for me. Which made him shoot up for me is I actually just looked at some of his footage for the first time, and he takes and makes a lot of threes. And it sounds blindingly simple, but like he took 15 threes per 100 possessions, which is kind of unheard of. Like Bones Highland took 14, and he's taking 30 foot pull ups like quickly regularly and just bombs from everywhere and this guy took even more threes than him and made them at 40 percent. and he was making them off movement off the catch off the dribble and he's like six four six five 21 year old strong dude looks like a football player who locks up one-on-one on defense on top of that so uh to me he i was just like like normally these days you look kind of for like not just the three and d but the guys who can do three and d plus something else but if your three and your D are that good, like I'll fucking sign up for that. So he jumped up my board. Um, but uh, I was gonna say that he, he might he might be the uh, the answer to our final question. And anyone who listened to this pod last year knows you were you were a big Grant Riller stand in last year's uh. draft. Um, <laughs> I hope, hope hoping he gets a little bit more time in in year two. Um, who who is that guy? And it, it's fine. Maybe, maybe it is Grimes. Maybe it's McBride. But but who is that guy for you in this year's draft that you you're just all in on? Um, despite what anyone else says about him, you're like this dude should probably be a top ten pick. I, I heard you mention Kessler Edwards, who I know is not consensus even a first rounder. So maybe it's him. Yeah. Well, like if we just push Sharif to the side because I feel like a lot of people are really high on Sharif. Um, the the three guys I'm probably a lot higher than other people on are um, the aforementioned Deuce McBride, Trey Mann, the combo guard from Florida, um, and yeah, I would say Kessler Edwards, who um, on my Knicks board, I have him 16th. On my everyone else board, I have him like mid-20s. And like you said, I think he's consensus like a like in the 40s or something like that. So those three guys... Um, those three guys I'm really high on. Even in my non Knicks board, I have Man and Deuce at 12 and 13. So I'm really high on those two dudes as, you know, combo guards who can do a lot of things and create shots. And in Trey's case, his special sauce is the the pull-up shooting. And in Deuce's case, it's the defense um, where, like, anytime you, quote-unquote, demote someone's projection to, like, guard off the bench people are like well like that's that's you know like they downplay it but that's like 
that's a huge deal. Um, there's a lot of really good guards off the bench in the NBA. You know, Jordan Clarkson is a guard off the bench, and he was instrumental. You know, Fred Van Fleet came off the bench during a championship run. Like, there's quickly, quickly, right? Like, if quickly does what he's doing now for the rest of the career. Some people are going to be disappointed, but like, that's still a really good player. Um, but all these guys have upside as well. So um, that's that might just be my weakness because Grant Riller was a very similar type of player. Um, short, combo guard, great handles, good off-the-dribble shooter, good finisher, questionable defense. <laughs> um, in Grant's case, he, he fell really far, allegedly, because of some questions regarding his knees. Um, he was still playing in the G League, so I, I don't know. I feel like there's mixed signals on that, and I, I, I need, I don't know. I, it's hard to make a judgment call on like what what exactly happened there without more information. But um, but those are my guys. Look, I'm I'm, I'm rooting for him because of you, man. I'm I'm I'm, I'm still in. I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping it works out for them. Uh, last thing is, would Kessler Edwards be younger, cheaper Reggie Bullock, or, or is he? Could he be more than that? Um, I think he's more of a, more of a wing than Reggie. I mean, he could, you could play him next to RJ, but then that's too like, like he's a little bulkier than, than RJ. Uh, I mean, not than RJ. <laughs> that would be crazy talk. That's, that's a strong, <laughs> that's a strong dude. <laughs> he, he'd be bul- I think the only dude bulkier than RJ is like Corey Maggette in league yeah. history. Um, I no, but I think he, he'd be more of a, I mean, you could plug him next to RJ for short stints. Um, just because he's that good at defense, but um, yeah, I don't know. He's he he's he's similar to Reggie Bullock in in some ways in that like he's a versatile shooter, but I think he projects to be a little bit better off a of mid range than Reggie Bullock. And where Reggie's strength on defense, I felt like was point of attack defense. Kessler's good at that, but his real strength is off ball defense. Um, he's one of those dudes who you know, sees the next two passes like before they happen and can put like call out plays before they happen and just wipe out like the entire back half of the court away from the ball by himself and stuff like that. So I don't, I feel like we don't have an off ball defender like that. Like our players are generally right place, right time guys, but not, not like those like Jedi sense. Would you say kind of Devin Vaselli from last year? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We don't have anybody like that. All right, that's that's as good of a note as any to end on, and we will end there because Game 6 is about to start, and we both <laughs> really want to watch it. But, Prez, uh, I re- really appreciate you, as always, coming on and, and educating me on all these guys. Um, again, he, he does a lot of writing for the Strickland, and I, I neglected to mention in the open the co-host of the fabulous Pod Strickland. Um, I, I'm, I'm an avid listener. I... I feel like I, I learn a lot through Schwinn's rants, uh, through your, your, your analysis, uh, cutting through it. And, um, and I, like, I like that you guys always like, have people on that cover other teams because that's, I always like, I, I want my Knicks information in context relative to the rest of the NBA. And that, I like that you're getting both the outside perspective and you can kind of balance it a little bit with what, with what people who cover other teams are, are saying and thinking. So, Prez, uh, everyone, go follow him on Twitter again, at underscore Presidente. Um, and, and yeah, check out check out all of his draft stuff coming up. But, but Prez, thank, thank you so much, man. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk soon. All right. 